I am so grateful uh, that Sagan and Shabu, Michelle, our kids' teams, our student teams, just for what they make possible every single week on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, and Sagan's definitely been a part of that and a blessing to our family with two kids that are down there in that middle school ministry week after week. And so if you have students, know students, or around students, make sure that they know what's happening here and just the, the fun that's happening, the way that they can encounter God, and just the, the, the presence of people who want nothing more than them to know in a fun, safe, awesome way just how much God loves them and is for them. So uh, thank you, Sagan, for what you guys make possible every single week uh, as part of the mission and ministry of Heartland. Speaking, speaking of kids, um, I mentioned that we've got a couple of, we actually have four kids. My wife and I realized not long after having children that um, we were going to need to lay some ground rules with these kids. I mean, and uh, it, was right around, it was right around when they turned three, I think, years old, when we started realizing that uh, they, most people talk about the terrible twos. For us, the twos were kind of cute. It was when they turned three that they sort of kind of became like, more like terrorists in our homes. <laughs> and these, these cute, kind of cuddly, very loyal individuals um, just became not, not so much that when they were turning three. And, and so the, one of the rules that we... Um, defined, you could say, and would frequently, frequently quote with one another as parents. Because we knew that when you, when you come three, really your whole goal in life has become to just be in charge of everything, right? Like you, you, you just, you want your way, you're going to do it your way. You don't really care what anyone else thinks or, or, or who, says, who says what. And so our big rule, we had several of them, but the big one that we've come back to a lot um, is you're not the boss of me, okay? And we would remind Alice and I would remind each other of that as we're parenting our children, that, that you little person in pull-ups who, who we brought into this world, mostly my wife, but you know, I was there for it, that we brought in this world and you know how the rest of it can go, like, like we can take you out, but um, you little person who came into this world, do not get to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. In fact, I'm the boss of you. You don't get to tell me what to do. No, it's the other way around. I get to tell you what to do. And in fact, when our, um, when our, kin when our oldest child went into kindergarten, <laughs> this made such an impact on her uh, when we said this so much that uh, the first week of class, they were making one of these like, what do I want to be when I grow up kind of things. And when the, when the teacher came around to her and said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? She, she said, I want to be the boss. And if you've ever been around kids, if you have kids, if you've, if you've known kids, then you know that this is something that every child kind of deals with, is they want to be in charge of things. They want to they wanna be the boss. And one of our main jobs as parents is to kind of teach them away from this, to, to help them get used to not being the boss, to help them get used to actually being, being told what to do. The problem that we have as parents is that we were toddlers once too. And people tried to teach us this, and we never learned it, <laughs> right? That, that, that we know, we, we heard that, that it's good not to, we need to learn how, what it's like to not be the boss, but we never really, really caught on to this. And now we're trying to teach other people that they're not the boss, but we really enjoy being the boss. We much prefer to be the boss than to be bossed. We much prefer to tell ourselves what to do than to, than to have others tell us what to do. In fact, you could say, I think it's, it's pretty easy to agree that we live in a you're not the boss of me kind of world, right? And... My guess is that there are even things in your life that you take a little bit of pleasure at not letting be the boss of you. But there's things that, that, that are told to you to do, and yet you take just a little bit of pleasure, just a 
small little bit at actually not doing those things. It, it might actually be your boss at work that you enjoy not letting be the boss of you, which is ironic, right? But maybe it's you acknowledge that boss in public, but then in private it may be just a little bit of a different story, or you do things a little bit differently than they would have you do them. Or it may be that what you don't let be the boss of you are, are those, those signs on the side of the road that you treat as just helpful suggestions. Because you really know how to kind of navigate yourself in the right ways around town in your motorized vehicle. But, but you say, thank you for that suggestion, but I'm gonna maybe roll that stop sign, or I'm going to go just a, just a few just a few miles over the speed limit that you've suggested for me. But here's what it is for me that I, that I insist on not letting be the boss of me. It's those arrows on the floor at Ikea. <laughs> and as I walk around the store, I say, you know what? You're not the boss of me, little arrows. You don't get to tell me what to do. I get to decide which way I'm gonna go through the store. Until there comes a time when I have absolutely no idea where I am and I have to find one of those arrows to kind of help me get back on track. No, we kind of take pleasure in not letting ourselves be told what to do. And so the question that we're unpacking here today together, whether you're online watching right now, enjoying an extra cup of coffee or here in person, is what do we do with the things that Jesus tells us to do? Because Jesus had a lot to say when he was here on earth. He taught a lot of things and gave a lot of instructions and a lot of guidance. And if you're here as someone who is saying, you know what, I, I, I want to live this Jesus first life that we talk about here at Harlan. I, I follow Jesus. He's, he's really something significant in my life. Then you know that this is a big deal. But maybe you have an easier time following and obeying him on some things than you do on other things. Or maybe you're here and, and you're curious about Jesus. Or you have you know, a little bit of respect for Jesus. And you say, you know what? He did say a lot of helpful things. And I, and I think that's worth following there. But, but I'm not so sure about that. No matter, no matter who we are kind of in our relationship with Jesus, we all have the same struggle, the same question, which is how do we decide which things we, we follow and which things we don't. Why is it that there are some things that we do when it comes to what Jesus says, and there's some things that even if we try or want to, that we don't? And so we've been in this series called All Access, and each week we've been looking at some of these All Access invitations of Jesus. That the, the big reason why he came to earth was really to, to let the world know that God loved everyone. And that God wanted to be in a relationship with everyone and to kind of tear down whatever walls there may have existed between, between God and people. And that Jesus was this, this all-access pass that it allows us, it's a big invitation to be able to experience all of who God is and to experience the entirety of the life that he created us to have, that, that without Jesus, that this is not possible, but Jesus makes that possible. And so along the way, Jesus, invitation after invitation of, of fishermen and, and people and the outcasts and children, you know, just inviting people into this, this life and this relationship with him. And, and he's building this following. And as people are watching him teach, as they're watching him do miracles and they're watching him just live his life, they kind of begin to think to themselves, you know, maybe this guy isn't just some regular old rabbi. Maybe he's not just some guy who's here on behalf of God. Maybe he actually Maybe he might actually be God. If there's a boss to be had, maybe it's him. And so they had this question of what were they gonna do with the things that Jesus told them to do? And so in Luke 6, there's a spot in one of Jesus' sermons where he's been preaching for a while and he just kinda hits the brakes for a second. And, 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 and he, he looks around and he says this to the people who are around him. He says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do 
what I say? And it's an interesting question for Jesus to throw out there for people. It's this honest moment that he's having with people who have been hanging with him for quite some time. And, and he says, what good is it for you calling me Lord, Lord, not just Lord, but Lord, Lord, to say that there's like some urgency to this. There's some sincerity to this. Why do you do that? You're not going to do what I say. The two seem to go hand in hand, but, but something's amiss. You're not doing the things that I teach. And it's kind of like if a, if a coach were to pull in his or her players in the locker room and, and, and say, hey, why do you call me coach? I mean, you join my team, you show up for practice every single day, you run, you run the drills, you work hard, but then when it comes time to the, for the game, you don't run the plays that I call. So what, why bother calling me coach? Or if a doctor you know, has a patient that they see on a regular basis and says, why do you call me doctor? You schedule these appointments, you show up for them, you, you pay the money, you seek my, my expertise and my guidance and advice, and I, and I tell you the things that you need to do and how to live, and yet you don't do any of them. So... So why would you call me doctor? And Jesus in the same way is calling out his followers and saying, what, what good does it do for you to call me Lord if you're not gonna do the things that I've taught you to do? Now, it begs the question, what has Jesus been telling his followers to do? So if we go back in his teaching earlier in Luke's gospel, these are the things that show up in the red ink that Jesus tells them, love your enemies. He tells them to do good to those who mistreat you. He tells them to... Don't judge. They're showing up there, but they're not showing up here. <laughs> so he tells them, love your enemies. Do good to those who mistreat you. Don't judge. Forgive. That to give to anyone who asks of you and to remove the plank from your own eye before you point out the speck of dust in the people around you in their eye. Now, Jesus isn't just giving them a way of uh, things to do and not do. He was actually giving them a picture of life in the kingdom, the kingdom of God that he came here to inaugurate. But he's saying, but you're not doing these things. You know, that, that, that enemies were not being loved, that good was not being done to those who mistreated people, that, that evil was being repaid for evil, that there was still a, a fair amount of greedy, self-righteous judgmentalism that were happening around here, that, that the people who claimed to follow Jesus weren't actually following the ways of Jesus is really what, what Jesus is getting at. And so he, he poses this, this question for them is, why, why does what you do and how you live not align with who you claim me to be? in your life. There's a word for this. And the word, the word is obedience. Is it going to be here or on here? Which are we at? I don't know. The, wor the word is obedience. Everyone just say that, obedience. obedience. It would be on a slide, but maybe it'll, we'll figure that out. There it is, obedience. Now, I know, and I feel bad for making you say that, because that's not a word that goes down real well. Um, it's not a warm and fuzzy word. You did not wake up this morning saying, man, I just wonder what I could obey today. Just really looking forward to that. I really hope Brad preaches a message on obedience. Um, in fact, I spent, this is, this is a word we all struggle with. I spent a, a year ago, we kind of caved into the COVID puppy thing. <laughs> Um, and uh, I spent about eight weeks, spent $250, spent eight weeks with our one-year-old Labrador retriever trying to teach uh, him some very badly needed skills in obedience. Um, it didn't work. Uh, we were terrible. Um, it's, a, it's a surprise that we even made it to the end of the class. And of course, those courses, those classes are always taught by these trainers and their dogs are like experts at everything, you know, and you're over here trying to keep your, your 
dog in line and not barking and playing with the other dogs and, and everything. And I learned, uh, because obedience is, is hard. It's a hard thing to learn. In fact, I learned that right here in Kansas City that you can actually uh, send your dog away. You can drop them off, your dog, and uh, apparently within two weeks, that dog will be returned to you completely obedient, completely a different dog for the one low price of $3,000. This is an actual opportunity right here in Kansas City that exists out there. And you, we kind of laugh at the price, like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. But when I think about how many carpets I've cleaned up, how many things have been chewed up, like, it's like, maybe that's worth it. But I know, I, I know that two weeks is not going to work teaching a dog obedience because then that dog, that obedience, I have to continue to lean into that obedience with the dog. And I know that I'm just not capable of that. And I just share that to say that whether you're a Labrador retriever or whether you're a person, obedience is hard. It doesn't go down well. In fact, if you look at the definition of obedience, here's one, way, here's one way that we can look at it. Obedience is following the commands or the guidance of something whose authority you submit to. Now, if I were just to stop here, that's not so bad. To follow the commands or guidance of something, I can do that. It's this part where it gets a little harder for us, doesn't it? There's some words in here that we struggle with, words like authority, Words like submission, that authority is not just following something or following the guidance of something, but it's actually willingly giving authority to something that you're going to submit to. And even, even as I say that, this image comes back to my mind of me looking at my toddler across the room and telling, telling them, hey, obey. Make sure you obey or else. As they looked back at me, squinting their eyes, considering what their next move was going to be, does he really mean it or not? And maybe for you, when you think about the word obedience, especially when we think about that and we think of God, there's a similar kind of picture that comes to mind for you. That as you think about God and you hear me talking about obedience, that there's an image of a, of a disgruntled, disappointed father or distant supreme being who just doesn't care or, will it, or, or just waiting to be disappointed in you. And if that's your image or understanding of God, it would make perfect sense why you would maybe want to have nothing to do with that God. But Jesus, Jesus tells us otherwise. The whole reason Jesus came was to show us otherwise, to show us who God really was and what God was really like. That God was not just there making rules, expecting us to follow the rules and fall in line with the rules, but the whole point of everything was about relationship. That God wanted to be in a relationship with us. And so, so, so because of that, that everything, including obedience, as difficult and as risky as obedience might feel, as much of a challenge as it may feel to our independence and our autonomy that we protect at all costs, right? That we've earned for ourselves, that we fight for ourselves, that as hard as it is to consider obedience, that it actually is an invitation to something. Obedience is an invitation to experience the kind of Lord that Jesus is. That as we obey the teachings of Jesus, that we actually get to experience the kind of Lord that maybe we've claimed him to be. The Lord that he, that he truly is. And so because of that, this, this question that Jesus asks of his followers when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I say, is a question that we have to wrestle with too. Right? Because how easy is it for us to call Jesus Lord and not do what he says? 
How easy is it for us to, to, to just be here in these services or watching and worshiping from home and, 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 to claim and, to, and to declare our loyalty to who Jesus is and to the ways in which he calls us to live, but then to honestly kind of forget about it moments later in the day? I mean, how easy is it for us to, to open up his, his Bible or, or read a devotional or, or, or listen to a sermon or feel the tug of conviction on our heart and think to ourselves, man, God's really talking to me about this and, and I think I should pay attention. And this is, this is what I should do. And then we forget about it or we second guess ourselves later on in the week. It happens. And because of grace, because of Jesus, he doesn't write us off, but he does ask us that important question. He says, but why? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and, and not do what I say? And I've learned a few reasons, I think, as I thought about that this week of why I can call Jesus Lord, Lord, and not do what he says. And I just want to share these with you because maybe something in you resonates with one of these reasons of why we struggle with obedience so much with God. Maybe it's because you struggle to believe that Jesus is the expert that he says he is. You know, recently I was going to a restaurant that I hadn't been to before, and, and I kind of always struggle with what to order at a restaurant, and, and I, my thought to myself is, well, there's no one who knows the menus better than the people who work here, right? So um, I ask our server, and I say, hey, what, what, do you, what would you get? Like, what's the best thing on the menu? And the server looked at me and said, oh, hands down, our, our pan-seared salmon is is the best thing there is. Even if you don't like, it's just, it's just amazing. You don't wanna leave here without getting that. Strong, strong recommendation, right? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not really in a fish mood. I'm gonna get the burger. You ever done that? Yeah. And it was kind of, we kind of had a laugh about it. And I said, you gave it a strong recommendation, but, but it wasn't a big deal because there was an understanding between me and our server at the table that, that, though, that, that though she had an expertise in the menu, that though she had an expertise in food, she did not have any expertise over what I would like. She did not have an expertise over, over me. That she, there was an understanding that you're just making a suggestion and a recommendation, and I get to do with that what I want. Um, and I think we kind of do the same thing with God sometimes. We say, God, you may be an expert on some things. Jesus, you were obviously kind of taught well and revealed some things that were really important and really special and had a way of illuminating things and really kind of changing the way people would, would think about things. But, but how many times have I sought his, his guidance in some sort of situation that I have to deal with and be like, you know what, Jesus, that, that might be the right thing to do right here, but I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to get the burger instead. Because no one is an expert of my life the way that I am. And you might be an expert in the world but you don't know my world. You don't know my family or my workplace or my relationships or my challenges or my past. And so I struggle to believe, Jesus, that you're as much of an expert as I am, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Or it could be that you struggle to believe that Jesus is as good as he says he is. And if you've ever questioned the goodness of God, you're not alone. I mean, we just, we just sung a lot about the goodness of God over and over and over again. And yet we can go through our weeks and we can question the goodness of God. We can sing words like, you never let me down, but then find moments when he has. And we wonder what gifts, what do we do with that? What do I do with that? 
In fact, the people that Jesus were, were talking to, they, these were people who were well acquainted with struggling with the goodness of God. If you go back through the pages that show up before the Gospels and you just do kind of a spot check of the history of the people of Israel, you would find centuries of them questioning the goodness of God. The centuries of, the, of them being exiled or being in slavery or facing famine or just being kicked around by the, by the latest ruling people of the day. In fact, as Jesus is, is, is sitting here teaching this, the Romans were walking around keeping their authority keeping these people in check. And there was, there was centuries of times when the people of Israel wondered, is God, is God silent? Is he speaking? Is he even there? And so if we question the goodness of God, they're right there with us. And yet in that Old Testament, there's time and time again a voice is holding on to God's goodness and reminding the people of Israel of his goodness. And I just want to remind us for a moment of the goodness of God. Just look at some of these things that show up in the Old Testament of all places. That, that in Exodus, right after the Israelites come out of the, uh, the time in Egypt, it says, I am the Lord, the Lord your God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This is a people who just spent 400 years in slavery. Or, or later in the Psalms, we see the psalmist write, the Lord is good to all, not to some, not to a few, but to all. And his tender mercies are over all of his works. Another Psalm that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the one who trusts in him. The taste and see, it's an invitation to taste the goodness of God, to experience that and to know that all good things that come from God are from above. And then finally, I just want to share this one from the small book of Nahum, which probably we don't flip to that often, might not even be able to find, but there in it, it says, it says, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who trust in him. Time and time again, this is just a snapshot. This is just a, a little bit of a glimpse. But I wonder, what is it for you that causes you to question the goodness of God? And maybe it's just the things that we wake up to in the, in the headlines every single day. Maybe it's the things that happen in our world. Maybe it's the things that have happened in your life, that have happened in, in your own story. Maybe it's because the first time you heard about God that, that he was presented as, as some God who was just waiting to be disappointed in you or didn't really care about you. Or maybe it's because you know yourself and you know your past better than anyone else and you wonder to yourself, how is it that God would even want to be good to a person like me? Do I even deserve it? In fact, if there's a reason I struggle with God's goodness, this kind of gets to it because no one knows the track record of my failures the way that I do. And so I can tend to believe that when it comes to God's goodness, it's only a matter of time until that goodness runs out <laughs> or gives up on me. But Jesus came to prove us otherwise. Jesus came to prove, to prove that he really is the expert he says he is and that he really is as good as he says he is. But if there's one thing that I think really, if we struggle with, with Jesus being obedient to Jesus' teaching, I think there's one that really captures all of it and it's this right here, that I struggle to let Jesus be more of a Lord than I am. That if I struggle with obedience, it's because I struggle to let Jesus be more of a Lord than I am. That I struggle to let him be more of an expert than I am. That I struggle to be as good to myself as I know that I can be. And so I may call him Lord, Lord, but I insist on keeping his lordship a little, a little below mine. And where that shows up, the way that we can tell is, do we do what, what he says or we do what, what we say? And Jesus calls us out on it. And it doesn't feel good. 
doesn't feel good to get rebuked unless the person who is challenging you is doing so because they know something and they want something for you. In fact, Dallas Willard is this author um, near the end of his life, years after following Jesus. This is what he says. It's how he captures um, his belief and confidence in Jesus. He says, my confidence in Jesus simply means that I believe that he is right about everything and that all he is and all he says shows what life is at its best what it was intended by God to be. Look at that, that my confidence is because I believe him to be right, that I have learned that he really is the expert on everything, that I have learned that he really is good, that he knows what my life is meant to be and what it is at its best, that that's where his, his confidence is. And so the invitation of Jesus is to take him up on this challenge. It's to kind of say, hey, hey, test me. Follow what I've taught you to do, hard as it may be, as much as it may feel like a, like a threat to your independence or to your autonomy. Give it a shot and see what happens. In fact, this is why the, the passage continues the way that it does, is that Jesus, Jesus creates this picture the way that he was known to do. He frequently tells stories or creates pictures. And he says, here is what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the flood waters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. And when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. One house dug deep to the foundation, dug deep to the sturdy rock one built on top of it. Um, it was about, I was about 15 years old when um, the Missouri and Mississippi rivers decided that, that they wanted to swell up with water and completely take over the banks that they had been kind of contained by uh, for a long, long time. And uh, if you remember this, this is a long time ago, but if you remember this, just the images of, of things being flooded and swept away, there's one that really stands out, uh, a home that uh, had been caught on video. And I want to watch this short clip of this house and what happened to it when the floodwaters rose. House is starting to go. Oh, Jeff, it's unbelievable. There it goes. Just now lifted off the foundation and it's just crumbling in the rapid and the violent waters here that are coming through this levee break about three miles south of the Jefferson Barracks Bridge. We've watched the silos go. We've watched the barn go. We've watched a shed go. And now the house itself has been lifted off the foundation by these floodwaters. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable, right? To see that happen is tragic. You know, the, the family that lived in that home, uh, fortunately, they, they saw this coming. They were able to get out of harm's way, but they weren't able to get their stuff out of harm's way. They weren't able to get their memories from that home out of harm's way. And so their life really was uprooted and was swept away. Now, to be fair, the floods that Jesus was talking about in Luke 6 probably weren't these one in you know, a thousand year kind of floods like what happened with the Missouri River and Mississippi River 15 years ago. Because there was probably a more frequent seasonal kind of rain and flood that, that could wreak damage upon houses. But the point is clear, is that how are we going to build our house, the house of our lives? Jesus says, you have a choice. When you build houses, you can do the easy thing, save yourself the time and money and just build it on the surface of the sand and see if you can get by. Or you can take the extra kind of time and work and money 
and dig down deep. And if you've ever dug down into a rock, like, like the, the surface of uh, the land of Israel, if you ever go down, that's hard work to do. That is not an easy thing to do. But he says that when you do, that you will be secured against the storms and the floods that, that come your way. Now, I've never, I've never built a house. I know some of you have. Um, I have lived in a lot of them. And what I've learned is that foundations matter, right? That you spend a lot of time and money making sure you get the foundations right. Like if you're using lumber, you can't use any sort of pine lumber. It has to be chemically treated and it needs to go down to a certain depth for it to work. And if you're using cement, I learned this this week, is that the cement has to be a certain consistency for it to remain strong. It has to be all poured at the same time. You can't pour one part of a foundation and then another, otherwise there's gonna be a break between the two. That it has to be cured slowly over a certain amount of time, not too fast, not too slow until it's finally completely cured, that it, has, that it has its strength. It has to be vapor-proofed. It has to be waterproofed. And this is just so that we can deal here in Kansas City with, with the spring rains and, and, and a little bit of a runoff, you know, coming down through the yard. This isn't just in case the Kansas River were to reach our homes and sweep it away. Foundations matter. If, you, if your foundation is, is thin or is uneven, then your house, whatever's on top of it is going to be uneven. If your foundation is, is cracked in your house, you're going to have walls, and your walls that are cracked in your house. And so foundations take time. They take effort. They're costly. And I think Jesus' point is the same way. He's saying, yes, obedience takes time. You don't learn obedience overnight. Obedience is costly. You, you risk something and you give up something when you hand over your independence and autonomy to something else. But Jesus says that it's the house's foundation that keeps it strong through the storms, that it's our obedience that keeps us strong, strong, strong through the storms of life. And, and with that is this promise. And the promise is that obeying Jesus today secures us through the troubles of tomorrow. Just, just hold on to that for a second. Obeying Jesus today secures us through the storms of tomorrow. You know, last week, Dan was talking about the storms and the wind and the waves and what Jesus invites us to experience of him when we, when we are in the storms. This week, we're talking about something that we can do to help us stand strong against the storms before they even show up. Jesus, Jesus creates this, this picture of what obedience does for us. And as we were talking about this this week, just as a team, when we, when we plan out these messages and we think about them, no matter who, who's here on stage, we, we kick around questions and thoughts, we get into the passages together, kind of learn from God together, and then, and then what we get to hear on the weekend is, is just kind of the fruit and the results of that. Um, and one of the questions came up as we were thinking about how obedience secures us against the storms of tomorrow is how? How does obedience today secure us through the storms of tomorrow? And what I realized as I had thought about this was, was that for every single one of us, I think there's something that Jesus is inviting us to be obedient to, who, to him in. That there's something in his scripture, maybe, that he wants you to be obedient to him. And if you're, if you're trying to figure out what, just maybe go back into Luke 6 and read some of that red ink and, and find something, just read until you find something and you go, oh, that's usually maybe what he wants you to be obedient in. Or maybe there's something in your life that he's been trying to get your attention about for a while now. And what, what the promise here is, is that when we finally tune in to that voice of God and we pay attention to what he's trying to, wants us to be obedient and not only do we get the benefit of his guidance in that situation and in our life, but we actually learn something about the kind of Lord that he is, that something actually grows stronger 
in us, that we strengthen our belief in who he is. In fact, your obedience to God strengthens some things that God wants you to know about him when the storms come. And here, uh, just to put a picture to this, this is how Jesus talks about the house, the, the, the house that builds down to the sturdy rock, that the, the house represents our life, that we want our life to be secure, that we want it to be kept together. But then there's the foundation. Now notice that Jesus says the foundation of this house is on our obedience, the one who goes and does what I've, what I've taught. That our foundation is not simply in calling upon Jesus as our Lord or even knowing him as our Lord, it's upon doing the things that he's taught us to do as Lord, that these things strengthen our foundation. And I think when we do, it helps us to know things about the kind of Lord he is that we need to know about. You can consider these kind of like the, the footings of the foundation of our obedience, that as we obey in small things day to day, we learn about God's goodness. We learn about his presence. We hold on to his provision, his expertise, that we realize, wow, God, your ways really are higher than my ways. You know more about my world than I thought you did. And I've learned that because I took a risk and obeyed you in something. Or wow, you really are good. You're not just wanting something from me. You actually want something for me. You actually know what's best for my life. That I get to experience your presence. That when I go through some small situations, that then when I go through the big ones, I can know and I can trust that you are right there with me in them. And that's holding my life together as the wind and the waves are pounding against my house or even your provision. That whatever it is I've lost is I've tried to obey Jesus. That he gives us what we need to make it through that. That as we obey, these things actually grow stronger and actually grow deeper so that when the floods rise and the storms come, our foundation is secure. That our obedience today will secure us against and secure us through the storms and the floods that come tomorrow. And as we think about the storms and floods that are happening in our world, not only the past few weeks, but the past few years, as we think about the floods that have been happening in our community, and I know that there are things that are happening in your lives, in your homes. Yesterday, we celebrated the end of a life of a dear Heartlander who was facing battles and waves and storms as she fought against disease. But she had learned some of these, these lessons of obedience to secure her through the storms of her disease, the floods that came her way. And I think God wants the same for you and me too. That our obedience to Jesus is an invitation to experience the security of Jesus. So now what do we do with this? How do we get practical? Where do we go with this? It matters. And so I want to give us two questions. Two questions that we can take away from here that can help us not only obey Jesus, but get to learn the things that he wants us to know about the kind of Lord that he is. And these are two questions. One is, to be asking yourself, what is Jesus telling me? And what am I doing about it? What, am, what is Jesus telling me and what am I doing about it? This question is about what is it as I make space for Jesus to talk to me, whether it's just by reading his word or whether it's, it's, it's downloading the Journey app, which is a way that we as a church, as a people kind of encounter the scriptures together and get to hear from one another. Um, how am I making myself available and accessible to the teaching of Jesus? How am I coming up close to him and, and hearing his teaching for me? And what is it that he's telling me? What's the tug on my heart? What's the conviction? What's the encouragement? What do I need to know? And then secondly, what am I going to do about it? How am I responding to that? If you've ever felt stuck in your relationship with God, I would revisit these two questions. If you're trying to figure out how to grow in your faith or your obedience or anything, I would revisit these two questions. And what am I doing in response to it? How do I not just call Jesus Lord, 
but do what he tells me to do because I know there's something he's teaching me about who he is in the midst of it. And the best way that I've learned to do this right here is to not try and do it alone. <laughs> that we need a team. You know, what, what I've learned about following Jesus alone and what I've learned about doing anything alone is I can talk myself out of pretty much anything. And that's why having a team around you is so important to this life with Jesus. It's why we talk so much about making space to build relationships, to make Jesus first. That these are the people that can help me hear what Jesus is telling me. Can help ask me, well, what are you going to do about that? And then can encourage me, can kind of nudge me along the way. And they're trying to do the same thing. And this can happen anywhere. This can, this can be on the car ride home with someone uh, there in your car from your family. This can be right after you turn off the TV or the computer or the phone, the person that you're watching with. You can ask them these questions right now. This can happen on Wednesday night. This is why we do midweek from time to time. It's a way that we can pull up a chair at a table together, whether it's here at the building or online at 630. They happen at the same time. And we get to come together and ask these two questions. We get to get, dig deeper into these messages each week and be able to say, how does this change my life moving forward? And I want to encourage you, if you're looking for maybe an easy way to step into this conversation with us, maybe, maybe show up at midweek this week, grab a friend, have them come with you. We're all there together. I'm there as well. None of us has, none of us has this figured out. But what we do know is that we need one another to do it. Now, just to wrap up, this reason why this is so important is because floods come. Floods will come. You will hear the storm is pounding against the walls of your house soon. And our willingness to obey Jesus today will teach us the things that he wants us to know about the kind of Lord he is that will carry us through the storms of tomorrow. Maybe he wants you to know about his goodness, not just to know about it, but to experience it. Maybe he wants you to know about his expertise or his provision or his presence or his power. I think more than Jesus wanting you to do what he says, I think he wants you to know something about who he is. But we will never know unless we take that risk and obey. So that's our invitation. That's our challenge. And as we head out into our week, I just want to pray for us as we go after this together. So uh, if you're here in person, would you stand together? And let's just, let me pray for you as we go into our week and pray for the things that we all are going to be going into. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you are a God who wants us to have access to you. God, that you want things for us, that you are for us. That you know that we face decisions every single day, that you know that, that we have desires and a will and sometimes we struggle up against these things. And so, Lord, hear our prayers that, that, that we want what you want. Lord, knowing that what you want for us is the very best thing for us, and we trust you in that. Jesus, we thank you for your teaching. We also thank you that, that this is not something that you weren't willing to show us yourself. That even being in the very nature God, that you yourself became obedient to something far more extreme than you're asking us to be obedient to. You became obedient to death. And you had every right to assert your authority over that death but you let yourself be obedient and you submitted to death and then you showed yourself victorious over it. And because of that, Lord, we have your comfort and your strength and the challenges, the storms that we go through to hold on to you and to hold on to your teaching that we would be a people who call you Lord. And though we may not get it right all the time, Lord, we're following what you have taught us to do.
And that's what we want to do now as we head into our week. Let us be a people and a church who make you known to the world around us by how we live our lives and love those around us. And it's in your name that I pray. Friends, if you agree with us, would you just say amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone, have a wonderful, blessed week. Enjoy the warmer weather. We'll see you next Sunday.